Blog Talk Radio. Close all university departments for black, Latino, women, gender, queer studies and so forth as incompatible with science and dismiss its faculties as intellectual imposters or scoundrels. As well, demand that all affirmative action commissars, diversity and human resource officers from universities on down to schools and kindergartens be thrown out onto the street and be forced to learn some useful trade. Six, crush the anti-fascist mob. The transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites. This self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible, or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically but episode of Punching Left. This is Clifton Knox, and we're going to come out swinging this week. I've got a guest host with me, Elliot Wilson. Known him for a little while. Uh, an interesting thing about Elliot is that he's red-pilled himself. Uh, many of us were introduced by a friend or brought to this way of thinking uh, by a co-worker or somebody, but Mr. Wilson sort of educated himself on this. So pretty excited to have him here. And uh, Elliot, introduce yourself real quick before we get started. Um, Elliot, I, you said a lot about me. I don't know that there's a whole lot to add. I'm I'm just here to, you know, discuss some topics <laughs> and and see where we agree and disagree. I don't know that uh, that I I have a long bio that I really need to share. I exist. Yeah. I space and planet Earth. Look at me go. <laughs> Uh, cool, cool. All right. So, so uh, David, our normal co-host, he is out this episode. Should be joining us again Sunday. Um, as uh, always, David is fifty uh, percent of the show. So, uh, we look forward to having him back. So, one of the things out of the gate I wanted to bring up. I know we were going to talk about multiculturalism, diversity, and some different topics such as the Heinbach controversy, but uh, I wanted to kind of touch on the fact that we had this huge school walkout uh, this week, and uh, it struck me as really interesting that these individuals thought that they could, they were, uh, they had the right to organize a protest on the taxpayer's dime in a public institution. You know, we're talking about a situation where these same people uh, would not afford the same sort of uh, opportunity for protest for those that are on the right that are in those schools. And I believe constitutionally in this country, uh, if one group can use school resources for protest and for setting out a political position on issues, then anybody's supposed to be able to. And so we sort of decided uh, some time ago that we shouldn't use government resources for that. What do you, how do you feel about that, Elliot? Well, so it's to me completely obvious that government resources shouldn't be used in that way. Um, but going further, what really concerned me at pictures and what I've seen on the media is the ages of the students that are taking part in these protests. I don't believe these are people that have had the opportunity to develop a politically or even 
mentally developed. These are very young individuals. And I, I find it unbelievably concerning that these young children are being indoctrinated in such a way to go out and protest against something that they really don't understand and then being held as a standard for the rest of society that we swayed by these children that are clearly being manipulated. Well, then I agree. I mean, it, we don't send our kids to school to be indoctrinated, at least, at least not in this fashion. You know, uh, I think, I think there are some out there that believe that schools teach them to be good citizens and so on. I have a tendency to think that at times, School, the school system with certain things, they go too far in indoctrinating children to be good citizens because uh, what's a good citizen is sort of um, subjective. And, and also uh, the point that you make is these children are so young, there is no way that they really understand the intricacies of the issues that they are going out to. They're, they're being led because they wouldn't have done this on their own that they've been led to go and protest. And, and so I think you're right. I think we're setting a, a bad precedent. I mean, it, it quite honestly, it kind of angers me. Uh, I don't know. Does it, does it upset you at all? And it, do you not feel your temperature rise, Elliot? It, I try to stick with a, a cold, rational fury as much as possible. And this is definitely a sore topic. It's, upsetting that not only are our public schools indoctrination centers, which to an extent it's valuable to try to get everyone with a shared culture and get everyone on the, on the same page, so to speak. There, that should be done to an extent, but this is blatant, heavy-handed, and not really – a lot of things seem to be done under the guise of what is American. This seems to be done under the umbrella of what serves the Democrat. And it's, it doesn't represent society as a whole, I don't think. So it seems to be aggressive, uh, forced behavior onto these students. Right. It's, I, I really don't like it. Well, he, there was a revelation that one student uh, during the walkout um, had a had a pro Second Amendment sign, and he was removed from the group. They, they, I guess they quote physically removed him unquote from the walkout and took him off to the side, so he was not a part of the protest. So obviously, the other side was not welcome. The, the other the other side of the argument was not welcome of the political position. Um, and I and I think we're this is such a dangerous precedent. Um, something has to be done. This cannot be allowed to continue. Cannot allow the left to co-opt taxpayer resources and use them to push their political agenda. Just can't do it. So, um, so going back to what we wanted to talk about this week, you know, there are other things in our public schools that are pushed that I think really have no place there, and and not from the perspective that. Um, Maybe they're good or bad. I mean, I'm not trying to, to call something good or bad from an objective point of view. Now, subjectively, I'm sure I could point to much of it and say whether I thought it was good or bad. But from standing outside looking in, I don't believe that schools, for instance, should be pushing ideas like multiculturalism. I don't believe they should be pushing diversity. I've, I'm kind of old school on this, <laughs> to use, I guess, a turn of phrase. Um, I think that schools should teach them how to read well how to do arithmetic well, uh, to understand the scientific method, uh, to know their history and geography, and to let them come to their own conclusions in the end. I mean, what is your position on, on what schools are, should be doing? So I believe that schools should be teaching every culture, and, and I'm fine with multiculturalism as the blending of cultures towards one culture that is corporate culture. There's a distinction in my mind between my personal culture, which is a bit of Budweiser and mullets and <laughs> Trans Ams. It still doesn't belong in the corporate workplace. And 
there is a corporate culture that we should all be able to unify under, a, cor- a culture of business. And that's where we are trying to teach these children, or at least I believe that was the original goal of these schools, was to teach everyone how to mesh inside the corporate culture and have a culture of business in which we could all meet and get things done productively. And without that, your society becomes less efficient. You have to have some unifying theme to where you can get things done. Well, what about what about the idea, though, that there are certain cultures that do not mesh well with others? Ultimately, and this is my personal belief, your culture, whatever it might be, you leave at the door when you pick up your suit, tie, and corporate culture. And that is your corporate face, and you do that to make money. And then you can take that off, and you can wear tattoos and put the piercings back in and do whatever it is you do in your free time so long as you can put back on the corporate face and get the work done. Well, what about the cultures that uh, talk about uh, going into cafes and blowing themselves up? That's another story of doesn't play well with others. And if in your free time, you're still just repeatedly violating other groups around you, you can't keep your hands to yourself and play well with others, then that needs to be addressed. And I definitely think that there are some cultures that are much worse at playing well with others than other comparative cultures. I I would say that statistically, for instance, I'm going to poke this one in the eye, Islam tends to really not play well with others. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are other cultures – also have problem. It seems like the African-American culture that we have um, has some real underlying issues uh, in the glorification of violence, etc. I can't address those issues because I can't be a role model in that society. It's not something I can do. I would be very happy if they, that culture, had a role model that was a good model that would bring people towards so wanting to all mesh in the corporate culture and not blow each other up so, or shoot each other in their free time. So you're talking about talking, you're talking about the culture that, that glorifies um, black market activities and shooting people to get in your way and things like right. that. Right. Yeah. No, any, any, there, there are, there are people out there who, there are people out there who are black that, uh, don't take kindly to that image that's portrayed in the media videos. And everything, in my opinion, is much more nuanced than just a a blanket statement, right? There, I work with um, Indians that are Muslim, and as far as I know, they are very good people. Now, that doesn't mean that extremism couldn't exist around them. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that as far as I can tell, these people could be good citizens. So mm-hmm. you, how do you make a model where you try to get as many good citizens doing their job, not being bothered, making everyone richer, and coming home – and also behaving themselves, because so long as the honest man can earn a living, your society works. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? I mean, there, there's there's a certain there's a certain uh, point of view which which I have a tendency to agree with that typically uh, people are more comfortable around pe- around other people in general. It's not always, but in general, around other people who are of the same ethnicity. I mean, you see that. Uh, if you go, for instance, if you were to go to a major city right now, 
There mm-hmm. are black neighborhoods, there are white neighborhoods, there are Chinese neighborhoods or, or Asian neighborhoods, there are Hispanic neighborhoods, and there are – you know, there are uh, – uh, That's kind of a fact of human behavior from what I've seen. We cluster towards what's familiar with us. There's, there's a barrier mm-hmm. to entry to trying to interact with any other culture. It's more work, and work is hard, and we don't really want to um, as well, what do you, I mean, what if, What if somebody were to take all those people and say, nope? Everybody must must. We're going to take it all and smash it all together, and everybody has to live. You, every other house has to be this, and this, and this. It's, you all have to. Yeah, it's, it's do obviously. Do you not think that that will like cause problems? Yeah, obviously. There's no question. I mean, if you put people together that don't really have a lot of common ground to meet with, and then they all have different ways that they see the world and different things that are okay and not okay, then you've got a bunch of people having to deal with all sorts of unexpected things that they don't have the tools to deal with. And, oh, I'm trying to think of the saying. Um, but, but basically, just as water flows downhill, so do people return to their base instincts. And no matter how good-natured or well-meaning people are, if you put them in a bunch of situations where they don't have a good answer, the other answers are usually bad ones and violent. And, (laughs) and so you just have a bunch of people looking for answers, not having them and then resorting to hitting each other or shooting at each other or just generally being awful to each other. And that's just, you know, that's just pretty much unavoidable. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I okay that that I will say, and, and uh, it, it's it's kind of I I see a lot of double standards out there with the the con for me when I see multiculturalism, um, and the terms diversity used, typically and and I mean I'm going to say this because it's true. Uh, uh, you when you hear someone say multicultural, that for instance. That company, that corporation, that business, it's not multicultural enough. What they normally are actually trying to say is there's too many white people in that company. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and so when I hear the word multiculturalism, to me, that, it, w- within the context of, the, for instance, the United States or a Western European nation, because those are predominantly, at least for now, they're majority um, European so when someone right. says, well, that's not multicultural enough or diverse enough, what they're saying is is that there's too many white people there. there and and too I many take white offense men. to that. Because... Go ahead. I was going to say too many white men specifically because things can be diverse yeah. if there's just a pile of white women. It's white men specifically that there's too many of, and we can't be having that. Right. So when you – and when you talk – like I've, one of the things, another buzz term – that I've watched for, excuse me, and I've heard over the last uh, six months to a year, in particular when I'm watching European news, uh, and they're talking about um, immigration into those countries from other countries, uh, in particular immigration from non-white cultures. They call that cultural enrichment. So <laughs> when, there's, when there are too many white people, it's not diverse enough. And when you bring in non-white people, well, that's cultural enrichment. So you can't, for instance, if you were to bring um, Ukrainians in to Germany, a bunch of them, that's not cultural enrichment, and it doesn't help diversity. But if you bring in people from, uh, say, the Congo or Somalia, that's cultural enrichment. And what, what do you think about that? I mean, do you, I mean, doesn't that seem like it's sort of a double standard and not fair? Well, I mean, what do they call it when white people show up in, in some place where there aren't any white people? Colonialism, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Bam. Right right in the right in the target, man. You hit me you hit it right on the nose. And it's true. It's colonialism or uh there's some other terms they use for it. That, I, I, why did you know, the why did the Boers do so so well in South Africa? Well, but they had cargo. They showed up on these ships, and they had cargo, and that's why they did better. Mm-hmm. Is that is that it? They didn't work harder. They yeah. didn't do anything different. They didn't have a yeah. better foundation for society. No, they just had some things. Where'd those things come from? 
Where, yeah. How did those things no. <laughs> ever come to exist? Sure. Well, and, and one of the things that you'll notice is that um, uh, when when in, in these different – it's not just in Africa. In other places where, where uh, you have this type of attitude as far as multiculturalism and diversity go, um, t- typically once, once those groups take power, the, those Europeans end up getting chased out of the country or killed. Right, and then the infrastructure so. falls into ruin, everything falls apart, and everything devolves back into an uncivilized disaster. But other than that, it's sure. great. I mean, it works well. <laughs> well, let me give you another term. When, when we say things like this, when we, talk, when, we, when we admit that we think that multiculturalism may, may be a, a, actually a negative term for one particular racial group, or that diversity means something negative for that particular group, uh, and that we don't necessarily feel comfortable with that, uh, they would call us maybe – white supremacists but i i would take the position that that's a that's another false term that doesn't really exist and in many cases i've noticed that there's an awful lot of momentum right now and I, and now when when i say this stuff now i know plenty of people who are not white and they don't think they like this but there is enough people who are not white who do think like this they think that um uh um that white people in for the whole world are to blame for all the ills of the world. If a particular country is in the whole I, I, I really destroyed, feel like it's white that, people's problem. I really feel like that one pretty strongly comes out, and I don't know for sure. I haven't researched it a lot, but I feel like that one comes out of Africa because you do. You I, think so? You I, don't I can't think it imagine also comes out of the Middle East or or even some it parts of be. Asia and maybe. I don't know about Asia. Asia seems to have a culture where they kind of, from what I've seen, they think that they're pretty fucking swell. And to admit that they could be, (laughs) (laughs) that they could be stopped by another group of people would to admit some sort of inferiority. And that, I mean, that certainly doesn't seem like the Japanese way. And it doesn't sound Mm -hmm. like the Chinese way either. So I don't know, maybe, but it seems to me like Asia's pretty much got itself under control and doesn't have a whole lot of a victimhood complex. I've right. at least I have. Well, I mean, we're it. we're pretty diverse as a nation already. I mean, I don't know that we need any any more cultural enrichment, but I mean, we're we're pretty diverse. We we have a lot of people from all over the world living in this in this country. Um. But the one thing that I will say, and, and it's, you can see it right now, you can look at some of the things that happen in the news, and one of the things that I will say is that I believe that diversity, if anything, has not brought enrichment. I think it's brought violence, more violence, and, and more friction between groups of people than I, anything. I don't um, know that I necessarily agree with that, Cliff, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I think that we focused on the near-do-wells. We've focused on the people that have been a problem. But if you look at, say, Asian in this country, I'd invite more in. No, no, and I, and I get that. I'm just saying that in general, though. Uh, but, but see, there is a difference in a situation. If you look at, at the people who have come to the country that are Asian, they, um, they're not suffering economically. They might at first, but if you look, they're they're typically they they actually earn better and have a higher income level than than the majority, which would be the the European population in this country. So they're not going to be um, inclined to become violent. So and what I what I say, you look at argument, some of the riots, one of the first things they do, and, is and I'm just trying I'm just trying to so to give you. I'm just trying to give you a dissenting opinion so that we we have you know a little <laughs> little right. to work no, with no, I get this it. conversation. Sure, um, no, I'm with you. I'm what with I'm you. Uh, what I'm what I'm saying is that it's who we're inviting, not that the multicultural is bad. It's that who are the people that we're being pushed into these quote unquote multicultural situations? It's never the people that excel. 
It's never the people mm-hmm. that you're like, wow, we came over and they knocked it out of the park. Look at the, what the Japanese have done for our, our society. Look at what the Chinese have done for our society. Look what the Indian people that come here do for our society. They do great work. And I don't agree with them culturally all the time. I have a lot of friction with my Indian coworkers, but they still have a lot of the base values of valuing personal work believing that you can make your situation better and that if you aren't happy mm-hmm. with things, it's no one's fault, but you, and that ru- being able right. to adopt the rugged individualism attitude is what is the of America's greatness in my opinion. And so well, if you invite okay. people like that over, you'll see great results. Sure. Well, and I, but see that then we come back to, um, uh, the situation where we start to look at uh, um, uh, immigration by merit, and a lot of people say that that's that's racist though to 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 use to use uh, skills and and um, their economic value, education levels, and so on. They say that if you use those kind of criteria, then then you'll only get people from certain parts of the world in your immigration pool. Yeah, the parts I want. What? Okay. Right. Where so, else is what this conversation that, going? Instance, well, well, I'm just saying. You know, you were talking about playing off of each other a little bit. Um, okay. You know, yeah, so but I'm just saying, instance, from a to totally, I'm self-interested. I want to do what's ever in my best interest to make my country better. I don't care otherwise. I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to to help save the world. I'm here to win as best I can in every situation I can. And so if I can get into a better position and do better, why wouldn't I? Sure. Well, if you look at – if you go back 1,000 years, 1,500 years, a lot of the people who would immigrate into European countries from other parts of the world did so by invitation. They were invited by an aristocrat or you know, a king or somebody uh, or, or maybe a wealthy merchant. To come in because they had a specific skill set. Maybe they were an architect. <laughs> Maybe they were great at making siege weapons and so on. So there's a lot of different possibilities there. Um, uh, and so they came by invitation. We didn't have visa lotteries and uh, people coming in willy nilly and then skipping their, skipping out on their stuff and not not showing up and keeping their green card or their education visas renewed and so on. You know. But uh, we do have a call. Oh, we had a call. And they dropped off on us. So if you, whoever you are, if you're listening, call back in because definitely add you back in. You only, you were only on about ten seconds that we could see that you were in the whole queue. Um, but anyway, so they came by invitation, and I think that's really, I think that's really the point. See, I, I think that one of the problems with multiculturalism and diversity is, is that uh, those are programs and concepts and ideologies that are designed to. Um, and in many ways destroy the the inherent culture and and that are that is in place whereas uh, a controlled immigration by merit and invitation only uh, is actually something that will enhance the, the culture that's there that that's just where I'm coming from that i I have to say I agree I mean if you're gonna bring people into the country it's people you invite because you want what why else would you bother having borders just let everything flow willy-nilly see where it gets you but you have borders so that you can have some control over your giant tribe so to speak and do as good as you possibly can for that tribe i don't really see why you would run your country any other way it it has been well, being ran another way but i don't understand <laughs> why <laughs> well yeah it's been run it's been run in such a way that we've had our borders pretty much just almost thrown wide open and we've allowed just everybody in the world to just pour in without being vetted or without an invitation um and so that's part of our problem. And so one of the things that you have with multi with this this diverse influx of of 
uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants, most of them from other parts of the world, are coming from very, very poor places. Many of them are living on a dollar a day. And I mean, so you could totally understand why they're trying to get here. Um, but at the same time, uh, the reason why I believe, my personal opinion, the reason why I believe that this policy, this has been allowed to happen, is to dilute the labor market. I mean, what do you think about that? Absolutely. Well, and it goes even deeper than that, right? Or it's to dilute the labor market, get yourself a pool of voters, and that that are frankly, much less educated than American citizens and much easier to manipulate that are also living in fear at all times so that you have easy control over them. And it's, it's a very useful group of people, but in my opinion, it's modern slavery. If these people don't apply to any of the rules and laws of this country, they're not protected in the same way as a normal American citizen, then you have a group of people that are very easy to manipulate, very and I think it's a horrible injustice to them that we allow this to continue. I think it's tragic that we don't do more things like the Marshall Plan for countries that we really want to help. If we want to help people, give them the means to produce, then the entire global stage gets put in a better place. But if you're just inviting people in to erode the foundations of your society – you're making everyone's life worse because these are the best and brightest from, and I'm going to say in this specific Mexico and Mexico's falling into ruin. It's in horrible condition, right? And I don't think that that's in any small way due to our borders being so open. They aren't forced to fix their nation. Instead, they can run away from it. And the people that are smart will, Sure. So what's happening is is that uh, they're coming here, and, and a lot of them are coming here and going to school and so on and staying, and they're not going back. So they're not helping those people. There's nobody left behind, exceptional individuals left behind to make life better. Can you imagine what would have happened in France if, if uh, they weren't forced to fix their problems uh, after the revolution with Napoleon so at different times? And instead, they were all able to just go over to Germany or go somewhere else. Or you have it, a nation that, that has a prosperous neighbor. All the, all the people that are, you know, why should I fix it here? I'll just go next door and, and uh, buy a house there and get a car there and live there. Right. Absolutely. And then there's no incentive to fix your country. And then these countries fall into complete disarray. And then sure. next thing you know, you have this dystopian nightmare sitting on your border. You haven't sealed up your borders, and all of a sudden that awful is pouring through. And it's a feedback loop where it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And then more and more horrors keep spilling across your border because everything has gotten so bad in the country connected to you. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny? We started this out. Our intro was Hans Hermann Hoppe uh, doing one of his speeches from last fall at the Property and Freedom Society. And uh, one of the things that Hoppe says is that in a, in a country where you have no commons, in other words, no public infrastructure, no public goods, no roads, no public schools, uh, no interference in the healthcare system, and you're not giving out free food to people, uh, then – you know, and so it's all private property, then you can you can do away with borders because then it's up to each property owner, and that property owner or business owner will have to actually foot the bill for that person coming that they're inviting. Under the situation that we're in now, however, uh, first of all, we end up subsidizing uh, these people. We're subsidizing immigration to come in, and it's coming in at unprecedented levels, illegal immigrants and so on. And so the taxpayer is paying for part of their living expense, which then allows – the uh, agricultural companies along the border and different places, these guys are able to hire them cheaper. A lot of cases, since they're illegal, they pay them less than minimum wage or right at minimum wage, but they are not taking taxes out of their pay. So it's a lot to them. It's a lot more money, and um, it undercuts the people who are forced to to try and find a job above minimum wage. So you increase unemployment because why hire somebody? above minimum wage that you have to pay taxes on when you can bring somebody in and not pay taxes on them because they're undocumented 
and pay them less than minimum wage. So, you know, the whole idea for the minimum wage was to make sure that we didn't end up developing this poor underclass, this permanent underclass. So, we, so they created a minimum wage. And believe me, I'm totally against the minimum wage. I, I believe that it, it, it disadvantages poor people, unskilled workers. Uh, but, but then you import illegal immigrants in, and you, you're essentially creating a, a permanent underclass of illegal immigrants who have no protections under the law. And so these large corporations, people say, oh, I don't know. Why, why do you think they'd want to do that? Well, because they want to, they're, they're flooding the labor market to keep labor cheap. They're doing it at the skilled level as well. So why would they want to do that? Well, it's not rocket science, and a lot of people think you're crazy when you say that, but it's the truth. If you can hire somebody from Pakistan to come over here and work at 35000 at, at $35, or $30,000 a year for a job that you would normally have to pay $80,000 a year for, why wouldn't you do it? Uh, it happens over and over. That's all I've seen. My entire career, that's all I've seen. And uh, it's to the point where I don't know that there's a lot of positions out there where that's not being done. I think that it's a real tragedy because it is really stagnating the wages and it's causing an unbelievable amount of misery, and that's why everyone's so mad. And then they're going the communist route, thinking that it'll somehow make things better. And it's like, no, guys, you're only compounding these issues. What you need to do is stop having your, la- your labor markets flooded because competition for labor drives up wages. It, that's a period, full stop. If you have a scarce labor pool – the price of that labor will rise. If you have a saturated labor pool, then employers can have the employees fighting. And if you open it up to a world market, then you're competing with literally everyone on planet Earth. And so your wages are going to be lower than the guy working that's out of Pakistan will be very happy with probably half your salary. Are you uh, are you familiar with cultural Marxism, aka critical theory, Elliot? I'm not familiar with it. I haven't heard of it. Give me a, a brief education. Well, and we've actually we had an episode, episode two. We talked about cultural Marxism, but cultural Marxism, in a nutshell, is what occurred uh, after World War II when guys in Austria and Frank- Frankfurt, the Frankfurt School of Philosophers. Uh, who were Marxists, couldn't figure out why all of these rich industrial nations did not become communists, like Marx said, and instead all the all of these commun- the countries that did go communist were poor peasant, you know, very poor, not industrialized, semi or or still feudal cultures. And so they're, they're, they came to the conclusion that the result of, of it was because of class consciousness and societal consciousness, and in order to become communist. You would have to change the consciousness of the people so that they would more readily accept it. And some of those goals are to destroy culture at its roots, to destroy homogenous cultures, to, to destroy those. If you can break down all of these cultural boundaries and so on, then anything is possible. It starts to, it starts to allow for the government and the state to, to step in and do, take control more. Um, and so it's very much like the counterculture from the 60s have, have a lot of deep roots uh, with the Frankfurt School through a guy named Herbert Marcuse and, and certain other people. And so cultural Marxism, what they did was they jettisoned the failed economic science. They said that doesn't work at a certain point. They said so what we have to do is we have to treat Marxism – uh, the, oppression, the oppression side of it where it talks about oppression and so on as a religion or a pseudoscience. And out of critical theory came uh, colonialism, the theory about colonialism that we hear today, um, feminism theory uh, or gender theory, um, uh, queer theory, and uh, the original one's critical theory. But there's a whole host. There's probably 20, 25 different uh, branches off of critical theory now. They're all counterculture. They're all against the mainstream culture of family, religion, um, uh, conservative values and so on that you would find in a, in a nation, say, 100 years ago that were prominent in the United States. And so coming around full circle, you asked the question a few minutes ago. You said, well, why would I want to saturate the labor market like that? 
uh, when we know that scarce labor increases wages, which makes people better off in the long run, right? Uh, well, multiculturalism and diversity are both buzzwords that are actually come from critical theory and, and, multi, and, and uh, cultural Marxism, the concept being that, that the proletariat has no roots. They don't believe in countries. They're internationalist. And so Marx believed that eventually an international, rootless, cultureless proletariat would rule the earth. So in their minds, you know, a lot of these poor, unskilled laborers, the proletariat from these other countries, well, they should be able to come in if they want to. And uh, it just it just furthers their their internationalist globalist ends. And I know you weren't fond fond of commies to begin with, but I'm sure that this doesn't help. No, and I I'm familiar with some of this, and I just. I don't know how to even articulate how much of a just disaster this ex- that is being rapely forced on me has been. <laughs> because <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. I mean, right? It's definitely there's nothing about this that is consent or trying to get people to cooperate or come together or work towards a common goal that'll help everyone. It's just, I'm going in dry. I hope you like it. Communism. And you're like, but I don't (laughs) want it. Can we not? And it's like, no, we're going to share your stuff. And it's like, but I didn't say I want to share my stuff. And it's like, yeah, but we have the wall to shoot you. And that's, what we're going to do with you. I didn't, don't, you know, you're bad. <laughs> I'm like, right. I don't, I don't really want to get put up against the wall and shot. And I know how this game ends. I'm definitely going to be put on the wall and shot. <laughs> yeah. If, if they get their way, I mean, uh, when you, when you really think about it, um, and, and a lot of people, when you start talking about cultural Marxism or critical theory, they actually they, they sort of look at you as though you're telling them fairy tales right out of Brothers Grimm. But having having graduated college in philosophy, where 50% of my professors were either hardcore Marxists or at least uh, heavily influenced or and loved Marx, and where they just inundated us with critical theory nonstop, you know, during the philosophy courses and so on. Uh, I mean, I, I I just can't help but say that that it's a real thing, you know, academia and and so on. They, it's a real thing. They're they're taking in students. You ever wonder why your student goes in a nice, clean cut kid and comes out with dreadlocks, smoking pot, talking about polyamory sex and you know, you know, fucking fucking animals and all kinds of weird stuff. And then uh, you you can't even figure what happened to your sweet kid. Well, cultural Marxists got a hold of them. So my problem is or or no, problem's not the right word. So I've been down the county counterculture movement pretty far and I, I swing back around to the to the right. And where my disconnect was is there's a lot of contempt for people that cling to their gods and god and guns, right? A lot that mm-hmm. that phrase is you know, been put out there. And then you stop and you think critically, all right, sure, there's a lot of people clinging to God and guns, and I'm not a big God guy, all right? I'm a bit of an atheist, not not big on that. And guns, when I was younger, I didn't really see the value. But now looking at it, it's like, well, what are you wanting me to trade them for? What's the exchange I'm making? <laughs> if I get rid of God, what am I replacing it with? What are you offering? So you're offering to replace God with the state, and then the guns get replaced with owned by the state. How about I pass? Um, God yeah. and guns is sounding really good. I I don't particularly right. even care for either one, but I'll stick with those. Thank you. Well, I got a. We did bring a. We got a caller in. So who who do we have on the line? Uh, this is Danny. Uh-huh. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? Is Got a question a, or a comment? Uh, yeah, is this the meeting of the Flat Earth people? 
Uh, for you, yeah. Danny. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> actually, I'm kind of killing the conversation. But I wanted to go back. I've been trying to get in. Uh, I wanted to go back to where we were talking, where you guys were talking about um, immigration and bringing what types of employers we bring in and what type of people we bring in for employment. Um, a couple of countries around the world have, and I, you guys might have covered this, or I just might not have been listening, but a lot of countries have moved to straight, well, if there is a job that somebody else can do that lives here, no, you cannot come here and work, have a nice day, return back to your country. But I already have a job. Well, we're sorry. Have a nice day. What's your guys' thoughts about that? Elliot, you want to take this real quick? So from what I'm understanding of the question, it's ejecting someone from the country if there are citizens that could do the job. So if this person's here and they got the position filled, but there are citizens of the nation that could do that job instead, then they eject that person from the, gar- the country regardless of whether they have the job or not. Did I, did I grab the question they, okay? Or they yeah, just don't I mean, let them come, I'm talking with the lead. When they land on their plane and they're going through, you know, checking into the country, oh, no. Well, I see there, yeah, there's people in this country that can do that job. So have a nice day. I can't see how that would be a problem. And if the employer can't get someone to fill that position that lives in the nation, then maybe the problem is is that the employer wasn't willing to pay them enough money to get them there. Because you can get someone to show up no matter Alaska or the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. If you offer someone the right price, you can get someone out there. But if you can't find anyone to fill the position, more than likely it's because you're not offering enough money. Okay. Well, Thank you, but uh, interesting enough, there are two countries in the world that that do this per process right now. Who who are those? Who are they? Canada and Australia. <laughs> well, I find it. I well, I find it sort of um, uh, ironic that Canada would be one of them, considering they chastise us about our about uh, even talking about tightening up our immigration policy at all. You know, the, one of the things that's bad about this is that we talk about uh, all these reasons to, to let people in. And, and, you know, of course, there's lots of good people out there. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of good people here who need a job and who can do the job. And I think uh, uh, there are countries who have even tighter immigration controls than that if you look at Israel or you look at Japan. These countries are – I mean they're fairly homogenous too. I mean Israel's basically straight on an ethno state. They, they make no qualms about it. They are a Jewish state for Jewish people, and so is Japan. Japan is an is a Asian nation, and, and they're like 97, 98, 99% Japanese. Um, we're not – I mean I don't think European countries have ever been that way. But I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to have a, an immigration policy that preserves our culture at the same time. And we can assimilate plenty of people. It's just that at the levels we're taking them in right now, there's just no way we can assimilate them. So it, people that think, well, when companies start screaming, I don't have enough people to do this work, uh, I think they're crazy. We've got 360 million people, and they're, they're bringing people in. They're wanting to bring that, in you know, 100, 200, 300,000 people a year. The translation for I don't have anyone to do this work is I don't have anyone willing to do this work at the price I'm willing to pay. They're screaming that they might have to to raise their wages, and they don't want to. That's what it comes down to. They just don't want to – they don't want to pony up the dough to actually pay fair wages for their jobs. Instead, they want to figure out a way to cheat, and they somehow think that we'll be real sympathetic to them for wanting to break down the borders and – drive the wages down nation so that they can have us subsidize their labor. It's a really crappy right. deal. So, 
Well, uh, uh, Danny, I think I think Elliot's hitting it right on the right on the you know the nail right on the head, and and honestly, from my particular point of view, uh, it's when multiculturalism and diversity, especially in corporate culture, is actually uh, code for we don't have enough people that we pay less than you, <laughs> and and we want a multicultural company, so we need more or less expensive employees. Well, thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. Love the show. Uh, have a nice evening. Thank you. Thanks Take for calling in. All right. So, uh, great call. And where we're at right now is we are at uh, towards our end of our segment, which we typically, in the past, we haven't last couple episodes, but we are now. We typically do the the commie bastard segment. So hang on here just a second. We're gonna start that. I'm a dirty commie I love that song. All right. It's a so, thing of beauty. Elliot, <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have somebody that you would like to nominate as your dirty commie bastard this this episode? <laughs> have we gotten Merkel yet? Has she been listed? <laughs> <laughs> no, she has not, but she'd be a good one. Oh, my goodness. What a disaster that was. The thing that drives me crazy there is she she existed, she experienced East Germany. Like she should know better. What is she doing? <laughs> well, she's she's not just a dirty commie bastard, she's a crazy commie bitch, I think. Yeah, she's she's gone <laughs> full just full commie and there's just like Oh, Merkel, what are you doing? No, they are raping the people in the streets. <laughs> no, no. Doubles the quotas. Doubles them. <laughs> yeah, she just admitted like like four four weeks ago that um that they had no go zones in Germany and they've only had them for like three years now. And you know, gang rapes on the street are a fairly common occurrence. Uh, but I mean, of course, you know, Germany is not near the the fucking landfill or fire that. Sweden is, but still, I mean, it's pretty bad. You know, they've got these massive goals of millions of immigrants. I think she's she's just now starting to get the message because she's starting to have problems keeping her government coalitions together. So I think teach all of the Germans of to feel the shame of being German as much as I feel it. <laughs> well, she must really feel it. That's all I can say. <laughs> Have you seen oh, the picture man. of like some guy had a little itty bitty German flag and like there was an event and he started waving it and she took the <laughs> flag away from him and like threw it away. <laughs> oh my we will God. not be having any patriotism. Uh, this is bad. <laughs> it is absolute, that is just ridiculous. I mean, you, you imagine that you cannot even wave the flag of the nation. I mean, nobody said anything about Sig Heiling it. We're talking about waving it. Dude, and he wasn't even – it was like one of those goofy where you pick up a flag and you like kind of wave it back and forth a tiny bit. Like uh, you know when you pop like one of those party poppers and then you make like the hand motion where you're like, hooray. That was all he was doing. It was like a little hooray. <laughs> and she's like, nope, stop that. That, that was nationalism. There's going to be I marching thought, yeah, from we'll stepping have, people. We will have none of that. Yeah. I can yeah, see it's, it's the I, I can see the Cathedral of Lights already. Stop immediately. <laughs> oh, well, God. you know, that. yeah, so she's a good one. She's a good one. We have never nominated her yet. But, that yeah, that right there qualifies her as a commie bastard. She's, she is literally just annihilating Europe with her with her immigration policies. It's on fire. It. It's like on fire to the point where I I don't see how you could even save it at this point. There's ports that will probably make it through. I don't know that Britain's doing so hot. They've got their own 
apparently Muslim rape gangs that were going on. That news just broke where there were just swarms of like five or 600 underage girls just being raped by swarms of migrants and no one reported it because they didn't want to be racist. And so that Britain's kind of a little on fire and I don't even want to know how bad the situation is in Germany, but I'm sure it's a dumpster fire. I just, it's horrible. Oh, Merkel, why? Why? I understand wanting to like help people, but this is just like, you're not just shooting yourself once in the foot. You got like some automatic machine gun and you're just going to town. There's not even a stump left. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, so, so my dirty commie bastard this week is I'm going to take Joe Biden. The reason okay. why I'm picking Joe Biden is because in 2013, while he was still the vice president, he traveled to China, and while he was there, apparently, it, it, I mean, it appears that he lobbied the Chinese government for special access for his son Hunter Biden's company, and they inked a multi, you know, a billion dollar deal uh, to to for for his son's company. So his like a Chinese bank called Bohai Capital, and they signed this deal um, to uh, for a joint investment. And so the, the, I guess in the end, it all it turned out to be about a billion and a half dollars total. So Biden doing bit personally, using his office as president to do business with the communist Chinese government, because there are no businesses in China, as we all know. They're all state-owned entities. Therefore, every business that anybody that you do business with that's a Chinese-owned company is basically the Chinese government. So he makes it. I mean, that's my, a pretty tasty dirty bribe. Yeah, that's a pretty tasty bribe. A so. uh, billion dollars is is no Trump change, and I mean, we don't even know for sure whether or not any works ever going to be performed or anything of value is ever going to happen. Is it just a pure bribe, you, or is there? Hmm. Well, did you say chump change or Trump change? I said Trump change. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know that whatever it was that was supposed to happen didn't already happen because it was in 2013. That's, that's fair enough. I I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look in more into it, but there's an upward limit of how much I can look at how corrupt and awful things are before I just get so – angry that it becomes almost despondent like (laughs) when it seems like open treason is just the thing to do now Mm -hmm. where do you even go with that how do you rein it back in when when people are just like laws yeah those happen to my political opponents (laughs) get those out of here (laughs) right well (sighs) sadly enough uh, an hour always flies by quickly you know, we found that doing a two-hour show, uh, they, it, it, it was sometimes it's difficult to fill two hours, and an hour and a half is about right. And sometimes an hour doesn't feel like enough. This seems to feel like this this episode that an hour. I mean, we could probably easily talk for another hour, I think, but we're actually down to our last minute and forty-nine seconds. Oh of man, I was time. just and comfortable. I, yeah, I know. You'll have to come back and do another show with us when David's here as well. Elliot and uh, you know I'm sure we'll have a good time Um, just want to get a hit in there real quick on the Heimbach controversy that last few seconds Um, I want to say that that uh, it's a real shame that someone who touts family values would allow themselves to be embroiled in a situation in which they did so much damage to their own family and I'm sure it'll blow over with time but it's very uh, it's a sad situation you see that any time um, and uh, I don't really want to go into it too much more, but um, anyway, uh, Elliot, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely would I'd love to have you back. Who knows? Maybe we have you back on the next episode. What do you think about that? I wouldn't be opposed. Okay. You sound All right. Good to well, me, we'll so. talk some more. All, All right. right. It's been All a right, pleasure. Man. Yep. It's been a pleasure, sir. We're going to. 
kick into the end of this, and thank you. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belt and radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressmen because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime and the speech. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it, my life has value. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs.